Hi, I'm Lilo Bupert, and this is Touching the Tism, a neurodiverse podcast where we talk about relationships with neurodiverse couples. And today we are super, super lucky because we have two people who lovingly volunteered to come onto my show and talk about their experience with their own neurodiverse relationship. Before I introduce them, I want you to know that um, Bill and I, we do this for fun. I do this as a hobby. I do my level best to be consistent, but life gets in the way and the holidays came around and it just flattened my hair back. So if I haven't been on the podcast for a while, now you know why. And if you ever want to communicate with me, I love to write to people. Feel free to email me at married to the iceman at gmail.com and I would love to talk to you anytime. Also, if you have any suggestions for the show or you would like to be interviewed yourself, please contact me at married to the iceman at gmail.com and we'll get you on the show. Okay, so today we have Ariana and Matt. Ariana is 47, Matt is 49. They have been together for 20 years. They have three children. Their oldest is has been diagnosed as being on the spectrum. Ariana uh, homeschools and does marketing. And Matt, I'm so sorry, but I forgot to ask you what you did. I am a software engineer. I'm Ariana's sugar daddy. Oh, <laughs> I love that. I have one of those. They're the best. For sure. So anyway, if you, whoever wants to go first, it doesn't you know matter to me however you want to do it. If somebody doesn't mind giving us the rundown on a little bit about yourselves, you know, uh, Matt, you can go first and tell us a little about you and then Ariana. And then if you would tell us how you met and how long you've been together. Sure. Okay. Um, well, as introduced, I'm Matt Evans. I um, have been married to my beautiful wife for 20 years. Uh, that got you points. Yay! <laughs> uh, I have I have not been uh, professionally diagnosed as, as having autism, but um, the the list that came home with my wife after our eldest was diagnosed uh, fit me to a T. So I am definitely on the spectrum. Um, I go to work. I'm a software engineer, which is really great for uh, somebody like me who has. That's this thing right. going on. Um, and that allows my wife to stay home and do whatever she wants to do, which right yeah. now is homeschool kids, which isn't something she wants to do, but it's kind of <laughs> kind of something that has to happen. Um, I love that. And I just want to be clear right from the get-go that I don't think it matters in the slightest if you were professionally diagnosed or not. Uh, self-diagnosis is equally as valid, if not more so, because you know yourself and we don't need some professional to tell us what you know about yourself. So I that's agree. completely unimportant. So please continue. I absolutely agree. Um, and I actually, I agree with it's more important because um, I don't, I don't want people thinking that, well, I haven't been diagnosed by a doctor with this, so it must not be a problem. Um, because, uh, as we'll probably get into later, learning about this and figuring this out helped me personally tremendously. And then also right. my relationship with my wife. So, That's right. So um, if Ariana wouldn't mind jumping in there and telling us a little bit about her too, 
that would be grand. Sure. Um, like Matt said, I homeschool our kids. I do marketing on the side. I'm a songwriter and um, I'm a serial hobbyist. I love Matt that. Likes to say I'm a medical hobbyist and a yarn hop. Like if it's a thing that I can learn and get super obsessed over, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> I love that. And what a perfect example as a homeschooling mom, because you're yeah. showing your kids the way just by that. It, it has, you know, I didn't realize that I was building a skill set that would help me homeschool our children, but it 100% is. Heck yeah, it is. <laughs> that has built really built our homeschool space because the kids were like, what about this? I'm like, I absolutely know about that because of the time that I was obsessed with whatever. That's fantastic. <clears throat> and just so you guys know, Bill is right here. Honey, do you want to say hello? Sure. I'm so glad that you guys are joining us today. And I am a fellow engineer. I'm a systems engineer. Oh, nice. And I also do a couple other things at work, among which is operations research. And I'm an irregular warfare senior advisor. So, uh, Matt, it's great to uh, talk to a fellow engineer. And you're right. How do you know if another engineer is an extrovert? Because he's looking at the other guy's shoes instead of his own. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of his favorite jokes. All right. Absolutely anyway, true. <laughs> back to the back to the plan, which is, um, could you please share with the audience how you met and, uh, you know, how long you've been together and a little bit maybe about your kids and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. You want to do so, that? Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. So um, way, <laughs> set the way back machine to 20 years ago. I was um, a single guy. I went to church on a church night. I was looking for a roommate um, because I needed a place to live. And so um, during the service, Ariana was doing worship all by herself. Uh, it wasn't like a full, it was just this like back room in the church sort of thing. Um, Make it sound but sketchy. It wasn't sketchy. It was great. I, I'm, I see it as a good thing. Back alley like, church, you know. I, I like, <laughs> I like cozy, I like cozy atmosphere. It was a smaller gathering. It was cozy, yes. yes it was and cozy. it was an old gaggle of people for me to get overwhelmed by. Um, so she was up there playing her guitar. I thought she was adorable. Um, but didn't think of anything else about it. And then I went up to the pastor after the church to talk to him about seeing if he knows anybody who needed a roommate. And then in the middle of our conversation, Ariana walks up and the pastor goes, Matt, this is Ariana. Why don't you carry her guitar to her car for her? And I was like, okay. And so I carried out to her car, um, which is this old beat up Corolla hatchback. <laughs> um, and I put it in there and she starts talking. And I mean, just starts talking and there, something clicked in my head i was like i should just let this carry on for a few minutes right. see what, where this goes what happens here. right so after about five minutes i was like wow she is really cute uh and enjoyable to talk to and then after about 10 minutes i was like this this girl is really interesting um even though at the at that point she, i mean she had been talking for 10 minutes straight and i was just <laughs> smiling i nodded a few times acknowledged you know didn't have to say anything though no. Uh-huh. It was already a match made in heaven. Um there you go. And then after 15 minutes, I finally asked her for her phone number and said, What are you what are we what are you doing after? Um, which is uh that's sort a, of so your mom. What are you doing after? Yeah, my mom was born and raised in New York City. <clears throat> and so Queens and Jackson Heights. Yeah. And so um 
as I was, I was telling you before, I'm from New York. I only lived in the state of New York for like a year and a half, two uh-huh. years, something when I was born, yeah. but I'm from New York uh, because my mom's from New York and I've lived with my mom, lived with my mom my entire childhood. Well, she lived like a refugee wherever she, she's like Georgia, Minnesota, it didn't matter. She was still a New Yorker. That's right. Yeah. She never assimilated. So, um, yeah, so so Ariana very obviously shocked that I had just basically asked her to go do something. She's like, I'm going to my small group now. I was like, great, I'll go to that with you. And so we went. Oh Lord. Uh and then the rest is basically history. We've spent We got married nine months later. Yeah, nine months later. And people were like, nine months, that's suspicious. I'm like, I'm not pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um and uh, so that's how we met. Well, and... the, other, the other part of this is why I was so awkward. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had just come back from um, being overseas as a short-term missionary and uh, was really experiencing like heavy, heavy, heavy culture shock coming back into the U.S. Mm-hmm. and was like, ah, it. I was usually a very sociable, very um, like, you know, feeling very comfortable in my skin kind of person. And, and the culture shock had really thrown me for a loop. I was not expecting that when I re-entered the U.S., um, and so this guy just kept not saying anything. I'm like, I just, I guess I'll just fill the space. <laughs> I was already feeling awkward around like Americans, which was weird. I had forgotten like words in English, like shoes. And I couldn't remember. I was only speaking Spanish in my head. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And this guy, I mean, I pre- I told him so much stuff that I'm like, why did I say that out loud? I told him I degreased my engine. Like it was just, <laughs> What? <laughs> <laughs> why did I say that out loud? That's um, funny. So I was very awkward too. And you <laughs> at it. And yeah, he asked me, like he came with me to my small group. And of course, there, you know, it's at my um this woman that and her husband that I adore um it was at their house, and they immediately swooped me to the kitchen and left him alone in the living room with other people, and they're like, Who's this guy? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. It does, but you were driving a sketchy van. I was, it was not. Yes, I didn't know who I was like. So, you know, we had conversation during that night, and then we ended up going on a date. And I think we stayed out pretty late Mm -hmm. that night just talking. And I was like, This guy is never going to call me again. I'm overwhelming. I'm like a steamroller of a human being. He's never going to call me. Like, I think it was le- not even noon the next day. You're like, hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm like, I, I guess we're going out. Let's do it. I love it. Now, that was uh, in our pre-conversation, our our, our pre-show conversation. It, uh, you told me you've been together for 20 years. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how long has it been since you self-diagnosed, uh, since you recognized that you were on the spectrum, Matt? Uh, about, about two years ago when my daughter uh, was diagnosed. Okay. Um, and, she was 13 at the time. And and ha- please tell us how did, and I'd love to hear from both of you. Uh, we can start with uh, Matt. How did finding out, recognizing these traits within yourself, identifying as uh, a person on the spectrum, how did this change your life? I mean, what kind of process did you go through um, when you discovered this about yourself and how has it impacted your relationships okay um well the the first thing that happened like on the day that i that ariana brought this 
uh, this diagnosis of my daughter's home and I read through it. I was like, holy crap, this is me. And it was, it was incredibly eye-opening um, because I didn't, but, um, I have a tendency to not see things the way society sees them. There's a lot of stigma around the word autism. There um, can be. There can be. Yes, there can be. Um, but I had always thought of that and things like ADHD as they're just an explanation of a different wiring, a different way somebody, his brain works. Right. So when I, so that kind of, uh, without realizing it prepared me to see this and I was like, I had no problem admitting that, yes, this is absolutely me. What happened after that though, like a day or two after that is, um, the sort of newness of it wore off where I was like, Oh, this is a little freeing. I understand things about myself. This so much makes so much just makes so much sense now. Um, and I kind of went into this grieving period for a few weeks where, um, you know, I, I, I kind of have lived my life with, uh, a sort of, I don't really care what other people, how other people perceive me. I mean, I always have, but at the end of the day, I was always like, I like who I am. If somebody else doesn't like who I am, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Oh, well. And I took a lot of pride in sort of that, what I saw as a unique viewpoint of the world. And when I read this and realized that I was on the spectrum, it was, I went through a grieving period. I was like, I'm, I'm kind of just a statistic now. When I remember like, you said, you're like, I'm broken. And I was like, but our daughter's not broken. And you were like, fuck. Yes. I, yeah. I was really sad about I it. I was. And I also, I did feel like I was, I was broken. Like, even though, um, even though I had always tried to view these things as just a difference, there was, there was still a deep part of me that was like, I'm, I'm really, I feel like I've lost something and I feel like I, um, the, the best way I can describe it is my wife uses this metaphor where uh, I was in a wheelchair my whole life, but I didn't know I was in a wheelchair my whole life. And she didn't see the wheelchair for the first 18 years of our marriage. So she was constantly yelling at me, why don't you just get up and walk? And I was constantly yelling at myself, why don't I just get up and walk? And when we saw this, when we when I got self-diagnosed with this, I was like, oh, I'm in a wheelchair. Holy crap. And when Ariana saw it, she was like, oh, my gosh, you're in a wheelchair. So I was like, I was grieving over the basically the, the loss of use of my legs, even though I'd never had it. Yes. I, I still was like, I didn't realize it up until now. So this is still a fresh kind of hurt. Yes. Um, and so it. I was in a I was kind of in a rough place for two or three weeks, maybe a month where um I, you know, it was just sort of a, a stunned um, sort of fog, I, emotional fog where I just wasn't, you know, I was an emotional shock is the best way I can describe it. Right. And at the end of that time, um, I guess when the, that grieving process was over and I was, I was ready to move on to the next state of what was going to happen. I, I, I kind of realized in my head, it was like, okay. I have a choice here now. Right. I can either yeah. I can either use this as an excuse to continue acting the way I've always acted. Uh, because there's no going back to being oblivious of how 
this is affecting other people because Absolutely. I didn't know. Yes. So I can just keep using it as an excuse to and just continue hurting people. Or I can make the hard decision of recognizing and asking for what I need as somebody who's in a wheelchair, an emotional wheelchair, wheelchair, but also doing what I can to develop other parts of me that I can still use to make the lives of the people around me and the people that I love better. I, I absolutely love this. And I want to pause for just a second, because as I told you uh, when we were talking on the phone, Bill, you know, got only diagnosed, maybe what was it? Six years ago, seven years ago, something like that. Indeed. And so could you throw in how you felt when you got diagnosed? Sure. So I, I feel Matt as if, uh, I understand the allegory you're trying to uh, to grok. What I use is I say that if a bird is born and lives in a cage all of its life, it doesn't know what its wings are for. And I have to say, I, I don't use the, uh, I'm not a PC guy at all. I don't use the wheelchair allegory at all. I use the, the I simply think differently. And by the way, uh, there's nothing to fix it. So I have to deal with who I am and I have to deal with how we're everybody else is we're asking you how you felt yeah. when you got diagnosed. Yeah. I didn't feel anything. Of course. <laughs> okay. Seriously. How did it impact you? Does that help? Impact is a better it, word. How did it impact you when you found out? Well, it gave me an explanatory framework for my behavior. So I knew why I did what I did. And I wasn't the fill in the blank that you always thought I was. <laughs> he's thinking that's i, I think yeah. he's a jerk you know i, I did yeah. i did think he was a jerk a, a lot of the time i thought he was ill-behaved and not wanting to do a lot of things with his family and his wife because he was kind of a jerk and all along he wasn't a jerk at all he was just reacting to a lot of the things that were going on around him in the way that a lot of neurodiverse people do and none of us understood it sure so, i think i think ariana and i can relate to that both of your positions completely in that. I, I bet. Now, Ariana, when you when you found out or, or when it clicked, you had your light bulb moment. How did that affect how you looked at him and 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 what were you thinking? What was going on in your head when you went, Oh my gosh, yes, this is it. Well, at at that point, a friend of mine who I'd been friends with for a long time had like surreptitiously slid, slid me a book and it was called um, the Wizard of Oz and other narcissists. Oh, <laughs> so okay. I was like, is this what we're dealing with? Because either Matt was like, he was either the best guy on earth or a complete uh, Third. jerk. Yeah. There was no middle ground. There yeah. was like, you're amazing. You're wonderful. Here you are. You're present. You showed up. You did the hard thing or you, I cannot stand you. <laughs> Okay. And so I was like, in the, you know, as I was reading about narcissists, I was like, is this what we're dealing with? Am I dealing with narcissism? Um, but it doesn't explain that he is also like very gentle and kind and loving and sincere. And that's not, then there's no motivation behind it to get his own way. It's not a manipulative caring, well, it's a yes. genuine caring without, um, but it's not sustained. And so it was very confusing for me as person who was experiencing like really high highs and then very low lows with a person. 
as a partner. It's so common. It is so common for so many women who are in relationships with neurodiverse men to, to think or for people to tell them that they are in a relationship with a narcissist. It's a, if you are unfamiliar with um, autism spectrum disorder, it can look very narcissistic, but like you said, it isn't sustained. It, it They do have a good heart. Their heart is in the right place. It's not manipulation in any way, shape or form. And when you recognize that it, it changes your entire world because Bill, I don't, I, Matt sounds very lovely, but Bill is absolutely one of the most generous men I have ever known in my life. He is not selfish in any way, shape or form. But before we knew some of his actions seemed incredibly selfish. Yeah, sure. That yeah. was Matt too. Like he would give away, he gave away one of our cars because someone needed it. I'm like, what are you doing? Wow. We're not using but it here. And That's so terrific. He incredibly generous and then be incredibly stingy with his own like emotional resources or mm-hmm. physical resources, mm-hmm. which I did not understand. Yes. Oh yes. I, boy, can I relate to that? I have to practically sit on Bill to get him to spend time with me. Now he does a lot of these things much better now for sure. But in the early days, you know, I'm constantly going, hello, I'm over here. I could use some help. I'm drowning. Um, anyway, yeah. Back to uh, some some more questions for you guys. Uh, Matt, did you have any idea in your youth uh, that something was different? And did your mom or dad recognize that maybe something was different about you? Um, so, okay, my parents got divorced when I was seven. Um, and before that time, my dad didn't recognize it because um, I'm pretty sure he was on the spectrum as well. I think I got Ooh. it from him basically because okay. uh, we told we told my um stepmother about this a few what six eight months ago yeah and she was like oh my god you're describing your dad and wow. so <laughs> um he wouldn't i don't think he would have recognized it and my mom being a single mom of four it didn't have a chance like yeah. she was working all the time um so there was no way she was going to recognize it um so that's my childhood later on in college or after college actually um, I sort of started recognizing something isn't uh, socially equal with other people. I don't really know how to describe that, but I knew something wasn't the same. You were awkward. Yeah, it wasn't just awkward though. Like I always knew I was awkward. It was it was just a sense that something deeper was going on. So I went to see a therapist. Um. And he didn't, he didn't diagnose me or put any words to it, but he did have me take this test where um, in the end, when I got done taking it, he showed me the results. He pointed to this line, this curvy line on the test. And he said, this is how most people societally score on this test. And then he showed me the paper with my curvy line on it. And it was exactly flipped. Like I was completely the opposite of what society expects. Interesting. Yeah. And he said, he said, now this doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It means you're going to have a harder time than most people. And it's something you should be aware of. So I got a little bit of insight at that point. Um, and I, I did have times where that was useful to me. Uh, and then probably in my early thirties, uh, I went to a doctor and another therapist and they were, they both were like, Oh, you've got ADHD. Absolutely. And they put me on meds for it. But and while that helped a lot, 
there were still things that were going on. I was still um, having trouble with getting overwhelmed or overstimulated. Uh, stuff that ADHD meds don't help with because they're not ADHD symptoms. I understand. Um, and so I really did not have a clue and really did not have the tools necessary to start mm. um, facilitating change in my own mm -hmm. life to affect those that I love in a positive way until we found out that this is absolutely autism. Um, and when, when that, when I put that to it and started putting, doing all the research or when Ariana started doing all the research <laughs> and telling me about it, um, that's when it really, I was really able to start taking steps and developing tools to um, love, basically love my family and friends better. I, I love that. That's just, wow. The self-realization there is just so beautiful. Ariana, you're a lucky girl that he recognizes this and, and wants to willingly trying to affect change. I mean, you can't ask for more than that. So um, when, when you guys discovered this, you know, that, that, oh my goodness, I think I'm on the autism spectrum. Ariana, how did that help you and your relationship and what have you been through with Matt through your life through your 20 years together where you've gotten to this point now where you guys are obviously have done a lot of work and you should be super proud of yourselves for that because I talked to a lot of people who are not willing to do the hard stuff to get to the point where you guys are at right now but how did it affect you when you had this light bulb moment and and what have you been through with Matt that now you can look back on and go, wow, I, you had used um, um, an allegory about being in a row in a motorboat. And I'd love for you to tell us that again. I think for me, this diagnosis really softened um, my heart for Matt in a way that I was like, oh, okay. So I was to the point, uh, you know, where I was so frustrated and so lonely. But of course, you know, the big nerd that I am, there's, a, let me read more things. I'm sure there's something else out there. <clears throat> so when we had a diagnosis, I got busy reading and busy listening to other people's stories and busy listening, like taking in data. That's what I do. Like I go on a fact finding mission, like I need more data. Um, and so as I gathered all this, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense. Um, and, and we've talked about this metaphor of chair of a wheelchair and you're right. It doesn't really work. Like you're not broken. Yeah, it's just true. different, but we kind of in the same metaphor as the wheelchair, I got busy building ramps because I wanted Matt in my life and our, in our kid's life. And I knew that if he was going to get there, he needed a ramp. So understanding him and like opening dialogue about what's going on with you. How can we make that better today? Like, is this possible? Can you, can you show up in this way um, for this amount of time? Um, like, and, yeah. And if I could, um, Bill, to use your metaphor of the bird in the cage. Um, so if I'm going to, if I could just, I just want to interrupt sure. real quick. The, the, what ended up happening was, two things i realized when ariana started 
building these ramps, so to speak, there was no door on the cage. I could come and go whenever I wanted. I didn't know that before, but there's no door on the cage. The only thing I had to do would be willing, would be for me, would be to be willing to jump out. Oh, I love that. That's great. And so um, what ended up happening was in combination. So, so the door removal is what Ariana's talking about, but there's a part that I had to play too. And it's like, I gotta, I gotta take the jump. Gotta walk out. Yes. And so instead of sitting in my cage the entire time, cause it was safe and that's the only thing I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've started jumping out. That's a, that's excellent. I think Bill had some different experiences in life because he was a soldier. Right. So he was forced and I, this, I hope this doesn't sound offensive to anyone, but he was sort of forced out of part of his autism because they don't allow for that in the military. If yeah. you're a little quirky or you do things a little different, that's just too bad. They're not going to allow it at all. And I think it stomped out uh, some of the things that might have made life hard for an aut- young autistic man in society. So Bill's social um, interactions and things like that are actually quite good. There's times still where he's a little awkward or he says things that are a little strange and people are like, huh? And I go, remember, this is just the way Bill thinks because he doesn't think linearly at all. It's he, it's like the cloud. He just reaches up and pulls stuff down. And it may seem like it has absolutely nothing to do with anything else that we were talking about. Um, and that's, but when he went through the military, he was forced out of the cage if we want to sure. use that. So I want to um, comment on yes, that real quick. Please. And that's this. And and Matt, you could probably relate to this. Masking and mimicking are two of the uh, the mechanisms that you and I, as neurodiverse folks, can use to appear neurotypical. Yes. In most places, by observation, emulation, that kind of thing. Yes, and I don't probably. think that the military it did force the function to a certain extent. And then I wanted to uh, correct you when you say that I think, in a nonlinear fashion, what I think is a uh, I think in a linear and nonlinear fashion, and I can gather from that cloud, from my memory palace, and make connections on things a lot of people can't. For instance, like at the detail layer, lower down in a hierarchical formation, and you know this from software, mm-hmm. Matt, and, and then the visionary framework of what we're trying to achieve, I can make those connections faster than neurotypical people normally can. Yeah, yeah. Saying, you speak, you're speaking my language, Bill. Oh, good, good. Yeah. 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 So, um, Bill, of course, has a lot of what we would call like the hallmarks of, of, um, neurodiverse brain. And one of them is he has the special interest. He has the superpower. He has all the uh, sensory overload that can make things challenging. How about you, Matt? What's your special interest and what's your superpower? (laughs) Okay. Um, so my special interest is video games, um, to a lesser extent, board games. Um, and I don't mean like stuff like Monopoly. I mean, like things that take 14, 15, 16 hours to play one single game. Gotcha. It was, it was it. me. It was, it was me. yeah, it started out as Ariana, you know, cause she's, uh-huh. she's a hot thing and we got married and everything. It, it always, it, you know, it went back to something where I felt safe. I felt in control of it. Um, so video games is is your special my special interest it is okay. because it's computer-based it's fun i can logical 
yes, it it all makes sense to me. It's it's my uh it's my safe word. Um, superpower. superpower, superpower, which I really call this a curse more than a superpower, but my sense of smell is bonkers. Isn't that um, interesting? It is. It is. I, I do not, and it's. I can tell when somebody is smoking a couple houses down. Mm. Um, I can like inside their house, like inside their house. Yeah. Wow. Um, I can. Um, it, it's not, and it's not like. I don't think most people who don't have a sensitive sense of smell know how much our world stinks. <laughs> it stinks. Well, I, it I stinks bad. A little bit. I have a pretty intense uh, sense of smell myself. They, they, I'm so sorry. I'm so yeah. <laughs> well, we... so, and, it, and the thing, like the one time Ariana, she, she never, I mean, her sense of smell has never been like this, except when she was pregnant. And I remember distinctly, we were sitting in our living room one day and I, you know, we're just watching TV or something. And she goes, do you smell that? What is that? I don't even remember what it was. And you're like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And I'm like, um, yes, I smell that all the time. That is a constant mm. stench that we live with. And she's like, what? I'm like, congratulations. You now have my superpower temporarily because you're pregnant. And I don't even remember what it was. I don't I don't either. I think it was something in the garbage that <laughs> So Matt, I've got a question for you cuz yeah. one of the superpowers that you and I'm I'm going out on a limb here cuz I don't know you from Adam, but focus and obsession and and you've already said you're interested in video games. I have other interests that that relate to uh reading and research and military history and conflict and stuff like that. At work, what I find is that my ability to focus for hours, if not days on a time on wicked, sticky problems cuts me apart from most people there. And, and I'm going out on a limb here and suspecting that you do that with software. Um, kind, it so, doesn't ever take days, though. Kind of. like, this is going to take us so long. And then you're like 12 hours later, I've solved it. Like, Excellent. Yeah. So um, the difference there is my career is not a special interest for me okay um, i actually i don't i don't enjoy most of the software engineering that i do because it's it's either solving <laughs> it's either either solving problems i don't think need to be solved but i've been told to solve or <laughs> it's just like a maintenance thing yeah um yeah. and Feels i can really you know, lucky there Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's fine. That's fine. But you um, do get but, like extra happy when it's a particular sticky, particularly sticky yes, problem. It's a sticky problem and it requires something for me to be creative with. I, I can disappear. I'll work over the weekend. I was like, why are you working? I'm like, this is so great. I'm not going to tell you about it because you'll be bored to tears, but I'm having a blast right now. <laughs> I'm with you. You um, just got to get her done. That's right. Um, and I recently took, um, I recently got promoted into a team lead position because I recognized the thing that I love doing most, then it's turning into a special, my job's turning into a special interest now is teaching other people about what I'm doing so okay. that it makes their lives easier. I love that. Um, and I'm on the perfect team for it right now. So um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's fantastic. Well, and I would say because you lived so long as kind of a bridge between your own brain and the world, because you definitely wanted connection, you are really good at connecting ideas and people oh, with thanks. stuff like if nice. if, you, if someone's trying to explain something and and they're just talking in tech matt says hang on let me translate that like he is good at seeing both perspectives 
All right. Well, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask Ariana, but before I go over to her, I've got one last question for you, Matt. And that okay. is when you found out that about yourself, you found out that you were a neurodiverse, how did that affect your relationship with your kids? And I understand your oldest daughter is on the spectrum. How did that affect her and your, your boys? Um, so with my oldest we, even before I got diagnosed, we were able to speak the same language. Um, and I was like, well, she's, I recognize that she's genetically the most like me. So that makes sense. Um, she looks like him. She, she looks like me. She acts like me. We blow up in the same way. Um, and so there was already um, an ability there for me to talk to her and help her understand things. After the diagnosis, I actually had the words basically to talk to her about it. Um, and what's that's, what's, what that's done is um, I can now take specific uh, circumstances or encounters or things that happened to me in my life and my younger life and say, look, this is what happened to me. This is how I learned on my own to deal with it over the course of 30 years. I don't want to see you go through that pain. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you, here's the tools you need and what you need to develop to handle this, whatever this is. This is fantastic. Um, and she, I can already see the changes in her. She's, and I can see it when I'm talking to her about it, I can see the light bulbs coming on where she's, she's understanding what I'm saying. And then I actually see her using these tools, attempting to use these tools in her life. And as her father, it just brings absolute joy to my heart. I bet that, that's great stuff. Yeah. Um, but basically the pain that I went through, I can use that to teach her. Um, the other, the other thing that with my youngest, um, we suspect he's also, he has some very, he comes to odd conclusions or like yeah. picks uh -huh. up, he misses social cues and picks up on just like the most subtle, but useless one. I'm like, wait, what, how did you, <laughs> how did we, but he also is, is just always in motion and he's yeah. just like a wild man. Um, so he thinks like Matt and moves around all the time, like, like, you. like a little monkey, <laughs> um, but <laughs> so he's a combo him, package. Yeah. But with him, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't, I think when he hits puberty, it's going to start where I'm going to be like, Oh, okay. It's time to, it's time. It's time to start fulfilling my role as uh <laughs> lesson giver to him, but he hasn't reached there yet. But with my, yeah. my middle child, my oldest son, Who's most like me. He is a clone of Ariana. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so, and this is also true in reverse with uh, my my daughter, and I'll explain that in a second. But so Ariana and I did have done years of work learning how to communicate effectively and be close to one another. And, um, and then we had my older son, and he has none of those tools. Okay. So for the long, before the diagnosis, I had the hardest time of not showing frustration with things that I felt like he should just get mm. because I got it when I was a kid, his so, older sister is getting he, it. Yeah. Why isn't he getting it? Um, and after the diagnosis, and this is one of the, this is one of the things that I focus on the absolute most is when I start feeling those emotions coming back up, that frustration and annoyance. Yes. I take a few minutes to myself. I 
and I've just, I've really just identified and started doing this recently, like in the past month or three, I uh, take, I take a little time to try to refocus myself, to put myself in my son's shoes, to think about um, how he's similar to his mother and how I would react in the situation with her. And then I, when I'm done with that, I dive in, I go, I go to him and I, I dive in hard to try to make sure he understands that I love him and that I'm trying to understand him and communicate with him. Um, and it's probably the hardest thing to try to learn how to do uh, since, since self-diagnosing because I'm sure. it's he and I, it, our personalities are not alike at all, yeah. um, but I'm still dad. So there's a role right. there that I got to fill. And regardless of how well my wings work, I'm still got to, I'm got to dive out of the cage for that one. I'm That's right. every time. So, um, so it's actually, and it's actually, I think having a, a much notice, more noticeable effect and larger effect on my relationship with him than That's any terrific. of the other two, either of the other two. Right. He's, he's the kid. I was diagnosed as ADHD at 28. Um, so for a long time, I was the only one walking around with a diagnosis, <laughs> um, but he's very much like inattentive ADHD, just kind of spacey yes. uh, and, but so imaginative and so funny and, but now he's 13. And so we're also dealing with like a little touch of testosterone rage a touch. Oh, and all of the, all of the resentment and stuff that he really pushed down for those 13 years about things that he wanted from a relationship with his father and that he couldn't have. And we didn't, we couldn't figure out why, um, are like coming out of his eyeballs. (laughs) He is so mad about stuff. I'm so thankful that the, the diagnosis for me came when it did, because if I, if we weren't where we are now, it would have made my relationship with him much worse, but because I can, I can see what's going on in my heart and with me at the time and ha- can take steps to reroute that energy instead of taking it out of him and losing my temper, I can now dive in and dig in and support him when he's having one of those moments, when he's having a, a meltdown. Yes, and, yes. And well, it's, go ahead, it's sir. absolutely turned around and saved my relationship with him. I'm so glad. If, if it makes you feel gives you any hope you know we have five kids and uh when the children were small it was almost impossible for bill to relate to them because my husband has an enormous vocabulary and no ability whatsoever to lower his vocabulary uh to someone else's level so you can imagine somebody who talks on a phd level trying to talk to a two-year-old it doesn't doesn't go very well and um (laughs) as they got older and could talk more on Bill's level, things got better and better and better. And now I would say uh, Bill's relationships with the children is is excellent. But can you throw in there, Bill, maybe some struggles that you experienced with the kids when they were um, young? Well, I think that criticisms of my sesquipedalian vocabulary don't offer us at all. So... I, I would say that the the older my children got, and, and of course, that also means that I became more acquainted with them, and I got to know them better, especially my boys. And I love all my children, but now as adult children, I uh, I probably talk to two or three of my children probably every other day, 
where right. we chat together. They call me, I call them. Let's focus on the question, which is what was so hard for you when they were little? Relating to them because I yeah. simply couldn't relate to them. And and my, you know, as assies, Lila likes to call us assies, not assies. Sometimes. Because it's A-S-S-I-E. <laughs> so as assies, it's hard for us to lower down, gear down to the other level and it was just difficult to relate to them. Plus, you know, we didn't know, right? We had no diagnosis, just like you guys. And uh, it, and this was many, many years ago when Asperger's or autism was not discussed, especially not in the adult world. It was still really in children that they were only talking about it in children. And, and our children, you know, they had no idea why daddy was so different. And I was very frustrated with Bill many times because I'm like, just go play with them, you know, talk to him. And he's like, let me tell you about the theory of relativity. And I'm like, no, no, they're not interested in that. They grew into it. You know, talk about parties <laughs> or something for crying out loud. And he literally could not do it. But anyway. They love Tactical Tuesday. Yeah. You know, all of our children, all of our children had a really early, large vocabulary. Like, nice. Because I think the two of us also spoke to our children in that way. And, yeah. right. and I want to say like one one thing that Matt, he's not going to ring his own bell. But when when our children were infants, um, I could not stop moving because the house had to be clean and I had to do this and I had to do this. And he would stop moving long enough to just be with them and they would fall asleep on him every time. Um, he was a really sweet and plus he would do this low like rumble voice and they're like just sleep on his chest I'm the baby whisperer <laughs> he was the, he's the baby whisperer so when we go like someplace and the, uh, somebody needs a baby held he will 100 hold that baby and they will Aww. fall asleep on him i love babies that's so nice well it's um, really sweet i want to ask you some questions now ariana that sure. uh I'm sure some wives would really like to hear your take on because often it's the neurotypical. And even though you're ADHD, I would still consider you the neurotypical partner. And I also want to throw out there that it is, you would be so surprised at how common it is for an ADHD woman to be married to a neurodiverse man. It's mm -hmm. like super common. Well, um, I was telling Matt, like, it's he's lucky that he got me because every morning I'm like an Etch-A-Sketch that's been shaken. I don't remember that I'm mad at him. I don't remember <laughs> what we fought about. I don't remember what I even ate yesterday. So lucky you. Well, yep. hey, I think there's some bonuses to that. There is. Uh, so I there wanted is. to ask you, um, Ariana, how did... Um, uh, how did how do you feel about your emotional needs uh and matt is matt able to meet your emotional needs and if not how do you um how do you fill your cup how do you fill your own self and any advice that you might throw out there for young women who you know whose neurodiverse partner is unable to meet their needs i always say you know that bill was born uh, the analogy is Bill was born without a right arm, and I cannot expect him to have one. He's not a romantic person in any way. He doesn't really connect to other human beings, although he loves me dearly, so please don't get that wrong. But we always joke and say, you know, did I hurt your feeling? Because he really doesn't 
have a broad spectrum of feelings. I mean, you heard me ask him just a few minutes ago, how do you feel about, and that he can't relate to that in any way. So for you, Ariana, do you think Matt was able to meet your emotional needs or is able to at this time? And if not, how do you deal with it? And any advice you might have for young women in your position? Sure. And if I forget all those questions, you can remind me. I'll throw out um, it again. <laughs> I would say um, at the beginning of our marriage, 100%, I went into this expecting this deep emotional connection and he was not available for that. Okay. Uh, and I felt hugely rejected. Um, he was right. betrayed, like I had been tricked um, and angry, like really, really angry at him. Um we very quickly jumped into 12 step recovery and a lot of therapy because I was like, absolutely not. This is not, uh, nope, this is not going to work for me. Absolutely not. <clears throat> and so I dragged him to all kinds of things oh, yeah. saying like, we're going to work this out. Um, you know, he, is it okay if we talk about, yeah. So I'm his second wife. Um, and that to be frank, I was like, there's no way in hell you're getting a third. Right. Um, I'm stubborn and you you better sit down because we're going to work this out. Uh, I'm sorry you don't like it. I don't care. <laughs> um, there was a lot of that, uh, which I think in some way is a little bit of a saving grace for us. A little bit? <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> um, there was... So we we dove right in and started working on things. And, you know, I remember therapists saying, you guys are incompatible. Oh, I'm like, what? Well, then you better find a way to make us compatible because this is it, baby. Those, those were the therapists we didn't go back to. <laughs> yeah, we didn't go back. To, I'm like, I need somebody to see him for who he is, for all the good and all the bad and all the trouble and help us work through that and see yes. me that I'm not... I'm not without my own things. And I so, you know, back to your question, he did not meet my emotional needs. Um, but at the time I didn't know that because um, I didn't have any emotional needs. <laughs> I grew up in a family, um, a very large family. And we had a lot of stuff that we worked through as a family. It was rocky for a lot of it. My parents are still together, which is probably part of the reason why I was like, sit down, we're working it out. Right. Uh, <laughs> They celebrated their 50th a couple of years ago. Wow. That's terrific. Yeah. They're also neurospicy, but they don't want to talk about it. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I didn't have emotional needs. I didn't know how to voice what I needed. I just knew that I was unhappy. I didn't know what to ask for. So I just got busy gathering data and, and doing research and reading books and going to therapy and going to the 12 step meetings and, and really got busy working on myself. Um, we, I, when we had kids, I plugged into a mom's group and I remember having this moment where I thought to myself, okay, he does not meet my needs, but some needs, if I go outside of this circle and I look for someone else to meet these specific husband needs that we're splitting up cause I'm cheating on him. Um, but I need these other needs met. And so some needs I'm going to have to set aside and quiet down. But the rest, like emotional connection and friendship uh -huh. and um, intellectual stimulation and artistic and creative stimulation, I can meet through this vast um, community of women that I'm involved with now in, in my city. And 
that was built from scratch. I showed up with my daughter in like a baby sling. She was three months old. It wasn't a play group. It was a mom group. And I needed another adult to talk to because I wasn't working anymore. I was home with my daughter full time. Um, and so I didn't have an office to go to and make friends and blah, blah, blah all day. And there was nobody to talk to except for this tiny little child. And I was like, I need other adults. Oh my gosh. So I really built that and got a lot of those needs met from that connection, from that community of women. Now, what that did for Matt was it left him behind. And we used, we use this metaphor in our marriage that when we're together, it's kind of like we're in a speedboat, the wind's in our hair, everybody's having a great time. And then for reasons unknown, Matt would shut off the engine, put the keys in his pocket and go back and sit in a dinghy in the back. Mm. And I'm like, well, the kids and I still need to move forward. So I would take out oars in my metaphor, in my mind or allegory. What are we using this word for? I don't know. It all works. <laughs> and, and begin to row. Basically, by sheer, just physical hard work, move my family forward. Um, and the best thing that happened to me in that process of therapy and and having a community and learning about stuff is I got my own keys. Um, and by that, I mean, I got um, my not, not not always my own source of income because I was still a stay at home mom to young kids but I would find ways to kind of hustle on the side. Um, and it, not that we needed the income, but that I needed to, to have a purpose. Yes. Um, rather than just, well, here I am raising these children. And dragging <laughs> adore, but, with Oh you. my Lord. Yeah. Um, yes. Dragging the husband with you. <laughs> and really he got, he got, when I got my own keys and when I got my own excitement and my own processes and my own way of moving through the world, he got dragged. And he would say, like, you're just living life without me. I'm like, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were definitely some some rocky years. You know, we we used to joke, you guys have been together so long. I'm like, yep, haven't smothered him in his sleep yet. I would never kill my spouse, um, for the record. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> but he, it was rough. And there were lots of years where I'm like, I don't like this person. Here I am with them. Um, and it wasn't constant because Matt has a gift. I think this is probably one of the gifts having a single mom gave you was to being able to emotionally relate to people. He does have a really good emotional vocabulary. So when he would connect, it was beautiful. And I was like, Oh, this is amazing. Um, and then he would go away again and I would feel that loss so strongly, Mm. um, because he couldn't sustain it. It was too much to sustain, but he would show up in these beautiful ways. I'm like, here you are. And then you would ghost me. (laughs) (laughs) That is, that is an accurate way of describing it. Yes. So I mean, in the same house, I would ghost you in the same house. In the same house. Like you're here, but you're not here. Yes. But did I forget any of your questions? No, I mean, I'm just rolling with it because uh, I think I told you in the, in our pre-interview that um, you have no idea how many people who are neuro, you know, in neurodiverse couples, how difficult of a situation they're in. And you guys have made it through the mud. Uh, (laughs) You've done the work, you've crawled underneath the wire and you have done what was needed for 
each of you and each other and your children. What a lovely example, because uh, being in a neurodiverse relationship, being in any relationship is not easy. Bill and I have been married before, so we totally relate to what you were saying. I relate completely to um, him being there and then ghosting you. We often say sometimes it feels like we're two cruise ships on the ocean and we're all headed for the same destination. But he's on the cruise ship over there and I'm on this cruise ship over here, or I am actually this cruise ship and he is actually the other cruise ship. And we're paralleling through life and instead of, you know, on a course where we meet together. It is, it absolutely is. <laughs> all the things that you're talking about are extremely relatable and lovely to hear that you have, like Bill and I, I would consider us having made it to the other side. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but right. we went through many challenging times and we are now on the other side of that and work very hard like you do to relate to each other and work through some pretty, pretty difficult problems. Because let's face it, if you look it up, the divorce rate for neurodiverse relationships is 80%. Oof. Those are not light odds. I'm I'm yeah. actually surprised it's that low. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. So congratulations. Not, thank you very much. But it, yeah, it's not easy work. Um, no, no, and it's, it's not. it. Well, and it, it I, does. Uh, just to, I want to reclarify something you said. You know, sure. We've the phrase we've done the hard work, which I appreciate. Um, Though I, I would put it, we're we're doing the hard work. This isn't, I, I recognize active. this is never going to yes. end. It has right. gotten easier and That's is right. getting easier. There you go. But um, it is not something I could, either one of us could ever stop doing or. You're absolutely right. I stand corrected. Bad again. It's an active verb, doing. Yeah. Yes. You're absolutely right. Because if you stop, then the relationship stagnates and then it falters. So yeah. it's, you know, like a plant. You want to keep yeah. the plant alive? You keep paying attention to it. Yep. What well, does it need? Things that things that I wish I had known along the line. There was one time Matt and I, and you'll totally understand this, but we have the best conversations when neither of us are looking at each other. Well, mm. let me rephrase: when he is not looking at me, like when we're driving. <laughs> um, I understand this on an intimate level. He won't. He won't talk to me on the phone because that's awful. But he'll sit and drive a car and talk to me for hours. Nice. Um, and we were talking, we were driving one day and going somewhere. And he said, you know, like for 12 years when you hated me and you didn't love me. And I was like, excuse Aww. me, what? Yeah. And I, in that moment, realized like every day I got like a fresh start. I loved him again. Whatever I was mad about was gone. But often I was underwater with the three children. Yes. You know, we did not know that our oldest daughter was um, on the spectrum. And so she was very um, challenging as a child. Um, and that did not get better with puberty. <laughs> it's getting better oh, now. Yeah. But it it was it was intense. And then her two brothers were just sort of along for the ride. And I was working my butt off to try to not recreate the patterns of specifically corporal just discipline that my, my family used. Okay. I needed other tools in my tool belt. Those tools did not work at our house. Um, and so that was, I was undoing a lot of things that I had 
that had been ingrained in me and I really needed a partner and I didn't have one. So yeah, what he got from me was cranky a lot. And he believed that meant I did, I no longer loved him. And we were driving and I reached, I was driving, I think, and I reached across and I put my hand on his heart and I said, there was never a day, never a day that I didn't love you. But his autistic brain mm-hmm. says, she's mad at me. She doesn't love me anymore. Yes, yes. I can understand that. And I, that never even crossed my mind that that would be a truth for him. I had spent so much time showing him how much I loved him. And all he heard was, my cranky wife is <laughs> mad at me. She must not love me. The criticisms. That really broke my heart in that moment. I I cried about it later that night because I was like, he believed that for 12 years. Why even stay? Why even stay? And I we we've talked it over many times since then. And you know, I think both of us have a stubbornness. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's very helpful. That's very helpful. It is. It can be, yes. Yeah. I got a question for both of you guys. And if you you don't want to, I totally get it. But um this has been really uh, terrific. And I have an entire other page of things I'd love to talk about. Would you, you do consider coming back on the show <laughs> again and doing like a part two? Because normally I don't go over an hour and I'm not sure where we're at. And I've taken up a lot of your time. Would you consider coming back on the show in a week or two so we could do the part two? Because I would love to go over some of my last page of questions with you guys. For sure. I don't yes. want to shortchange it. Absolutely. How would you feel about that? I would love to. We would, would love to. That would be great. So let me ask one quick question to conclude our lovely interview. I've enjoyed it so, so much. Just to um, give a little teaser for part two, tell us from each of your perspectives, what's the best thing about having a partner uh, the, in in a neurodiverse relationship. We only rephrase that. Um, Ariana, what is the best thing about your uh, autistic partner, having an autistic partner for you? Let's start there. What is it about Matt and his um, autism that you consider a huge plus? Matt has a way of moving through the world and seeing things that no one else sees, including me, and seeing me in a way that I did not feel seen up until we met, which I love. And I love that he can look at things and flip them on their head and see another perspective. Mm. It takes so much for people to change their perspective. And he always is willing and able to turn we call it turning the gem like let mm-hmm. let me turn that a little bit and let's look at this from from this perspective and i really love the way that he does that um That's great. so we always mm-hmm. joke around. so matt shows up when things get hard that's his other other big thing you know i know some people when the ship hits the sand they they bolt but not matt so matt may be ghosting me in like the little things like hey you want to watch a movie together? No. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> but, that is exactly but, my voice too. No. But when things <laughs> get hard, Aww. when things get hard, Matt 100% shows up with his full self. And 
and is logical and calm in ways that I'm just like, you know, I'm overwhelmed or emotional and he shows up and he brings um, like a tempered, calm wisdom to situations that I, I really that. appreciate. That's because logic is our religion. That's right. right. <laughs> it is. That's true. I got to say, then, Phil is really like that as well. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, and then I fall apart when everything's taken care of. <laughs> oh, okay, Matt, your turn. What is the best thing about having a neurotypical partner? I love her for her body. Oh. <laughs> I remember your parents are going to be listening to this. <laughs> um, so she, so your question was, what's the best thing about having a neurotypical partner? Yes, because you're not the neurotypical partner. You're the neurodiverse partner and she's your opposite right. in any way. So what right. is the bonus about that for you? So Ariana is the smartest person I know. And I am i don't say that lightly because I have people in my life whose IQs are incredibly high, I'm who sure. graduated from MIT with honors. Um, so she's, but she is the absolute smartest person I've ever known. And, you know, she's mentioned, we've talked about, she has ADHD. Yes. But the thing that I've noticed about her in that and I don't, I don't know if this is a normal trait of ADHD people. I don't think it is, but um, she does not give up on things that are important. And when she gets into her mind to learn about something or do something, especially when it's in the um, framework of loving somebody else, she goes so far above and beyond. It's incredible. She has never been bad at anything she's tried. <laughs> Um, except sometimes finishing, uh, Christmas gifts that she's knitted that that's a little bit of a struggle, but, um, uh, but she's always willing to put herself into situations that she doesn't know and isn't familiar with, with joy to try to love others. And would um, you say that's something that would be hard for you to put yourself in a unknown situation? Oh yeah. It's okay. so incredibly hard. Gotcha. Um, the other thing, the other thing that I am absolutely amazed at is uh, her natural ability, without even realizing it, to create community around her. Oh, and and not just I'm not I don't just mean like a group of friends. The people who come around her are better in their lives because they know her. Everything, every heart she touches, turns a little bit to gold. You guys are just going to make me cry if you keep going. <laughs> well, I, 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 I hope you have enjoyed this even half as much as I have. And I'm so grateful you're willing to come on again for a part two, because I, I think you have a lot more to say and I have a lot more questions to ask. And in a week or two, once I get this one up, um, I'd love to have you back on uh, again. But right now, I just want to say a huge, tremendous thank you. I'm sure the audience is going to get so many great things out of this. And when we do part two, I'm going to be asking questions from you guys about coping mechanisms and ways that you've found to, how did you get through the mud? That's what I'm going to want to know. I'm going to want to know what happens when Matt does A, 
you know, what is the reaction and, and how did you change that reaction through time and the things you learned maybe from therapy, suggestions, advice you might have for other neurodiverse couples. I mean, I've got at least another good page, page and a half of things I'd mm -hmm. love to ask you. But anyway, sure. thanks so much for coming on. I'm going to go and say goodbye to you both and everything. But if there's one little quick thing you'd like to say before we go, feel froggy. Well, I just want to thank you for having us there. There's been so much that we've gone through and you, Matt was like, we should become therapists. I said, we should absolutely not become <laughs> therapists. You ever hearing everybody's problems all day would drain you and you would die. Yes. For <laughs> sure. But I do feel like there are people like us who are struggling and yes. I, I want them to know that like, it's not hopeless. It really isn't. You know, right. I think, we're in, I'm in support groups for other spouses of autistic partners. And oftentimes it can feel hopeless mm -hmm. and the stories I read and just the heartbreak. And I could have written all of those posts at different points in our marriage. Oh yes. And, but because we're not there anymore and we've moved to the part where we have tools to work through it, it's, it's not hopeless. Yeah. It's, it's not easy and it's not simple. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy no. or simple. No, it's not. <laughs> but it's not hopeless. And, and doing the work has made me a better person. It's made our children um, have better parents. It's made our community better. It's, it's, I want to say, this is something that we always do is leading with the ways that we are vulnerable. And that's really hard in this world. People are like, well, what are you that's good nice. at? I'm like, well, I'm good at sucking. Sorry, I'm good at not being good at this. Yes. I'm good at being terrible at this. That's yeah. a, quite a quote. I'm good. But... That's our our, fam our family motto is it's okay to suck at this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We have a, our motto is do more, suck less. <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway, yes. you guys have been great, um, Bill. Did you want to say goodbye to them or? Man, I, I so appreciate you guys talking. And uh, Matt, I think that. There's, there's so many things that you and I share, and it's so great to listen to another neurodiverse guy who has made a success of being married to his life partner. Thank you. Yes. All right, you guys. Is, well, I'm going to say bye now. All right. And we, I'll get in touch with you, and we will do this again soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. really fun. We appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for everything. It was really terrific. Okay. Bye now. Bye. bye.